This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Lily Lukau. And I'm Jamal Sanchez, and my clan is the Ant Clan. We want to remind you that we are broadcasting this program from the lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we focus on a special celebration. That's right, Lily. Here at GJ, we would like to wish everyone a happy birthday. No, Jamal, it's Pride Month. You know, the honorary celebration of the hard-fought ongoing battle for equality, safety, respect, and autonomy of LGBTQ folk? I'm just kidding, Lily. And in honor of Pride Month, we bring you a very informative interview with Marshall Martinez, the Executive Director of Equality New Mexico on the history of Pride Month, rainbow capitalism, and more. We also bring you longtime GJ member Jaron Kai's inspirational coming out commentary, which was originally recorded and aired in 2007. And our summer media justice interns have selected some powerful music to commemorate Pride Month. Yes, let's get it started in here with Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Marshall Martinez is the executive director of Equality New Mexico. He has been an organizer and a political strategist for multiple candidates and organizations. Tonight, Marshall speaks with media justice intern Emilio Bouvale about the history of Pride Month and how we how to be in allyship with the LGBTQ plus community. This is Emilio Bouvale with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with community organizer, political strategist Marshall Martinez who is currently the Executive Director of Equality New Mexico. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you so much for having me, Emilio. Um, please share more about yourself. Thank you. Um, so as you said, my name is Marshall Martinez. I'm the Executive Director of Equality New Mexico. We are a statewide LGBTQ civil rights and advocacy organization. Um, and I became the Executive Director in September of 2020. I was born and raised in Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is a semi-rural community in Southern New Mexico. And I uh, came out when I was in high school at 16 years old, um, and then moved to Albuquerque when I was 18, and I've lived here since then. And I've really spent all of my adult life as a community organizer. I've worked on political campaigns and for various issue organizations. And um, I've really always done this work as a queer Chicano from rural New Mexico. Um, and I really try to approach the work from the, the layers of intersectionality and layers of oppression that we all face, including having grown up um, in a working class family in a rural community. So, um, and I just have to say happy Pride Month to you. And thank you so much for having uh, me and EQM in this space and on this interview during Pride Month. Um, that, is, that is amazing, that is amazing, yes. To, um, can you talk more about the mission for Equality New Mexico? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, Equality New Mexico is 28 years old. Um, as an organization, we were founded in 1993. And our mission has always been the same, although the way we've done the work has changed over the years, of course. The mission of Equality New Mexico is um, to build community organizing moments and movements 
um, to build political power to change the policies and systems that impact queer and trans people across the state. Um, and what I say to people is that's a lot of words and it's a lot of really big ideas. Equality New Mexico is here to try to remove the barriers that stop queer and trans people from being able to thrive in our daily lives. And so that means finding education, economic security, access to healthcare. We believe that all of our communities will be better and will do better when lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning um, folks, all of, all of us who make up this community are able to live with dignity and respect um, and with policies that lift us up rather than hold us down. So um, that's a little bit about the mission. Um, again, it sounds kind of convoluted, but at the end of the day, I would say we do queer and trans rights work um, and we do it in the streets and we do it in the state capital and everywhere in between. That is really interesting to know. I had no clue this group existed. That is, that is a great insight. Thank you. Um, can you talk to us about the history of Pride Month? The history of Pride Month is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so the first, uh, back then it was called Gay Pride. Of course, the vocabulary has changed, right? But the first Gay Pride um, event happened in 1970 and it happened to recognize the one year anniversary of the Stonewall riots that happened in 1969. And so um, for folks who don't know, um, who've never heard this history, this is before obviously even my time, but um, in the 50s and 60s, uh, queer people and trans people were criminalized. We were brutalized by police and law enforcement. Um, it was against the law to be a homosexual in the 1960s, right? Um, and so for a long time, all of the things, many of the things that we celebrate now um, were explicitly against the law. And in 1969, there was a bar in New York City called the Stonewall Inn, and it was a well-known um, gay bar at the time, queer space, right? And uh, there were lots of trans folks, lots of drag queens, and uh, it was against the law to wear more than three articles of clothing from the opposite sex. And what would happen in that time is that the police would come in and raid the bar and they would, uh, they would identify people based on the clothing they were wearing. Obviously they targeted trans women and they targeted drag queens who were wearing, uh, I don't even like to use the term, but it's what they said then, right? Which is like clothing for the opposite sex. Clothing doesn't have a gender, but you know, whatever, it's 1960s. Um, and they would identify these folks and they were brutal to them. Not only did they arrest them, they put their names and faces in the newspapers and outed them in their communities. And when they arrested them, they brutalized them, right? Um, sometimes for, for some of our trans sisters, they would literally shove their faces into the dishwater to wash their makeup off. And um, on a very hot, very emotional night in June in 1969, trans women of color, black and brown trans women and, and drag queens mostly saw the raid happening and decided they just weren't going to deal with it anymore. And they started an actual riot. 
And I think it's so important for people to think about and to know when we celebrate Pride today, which is parades and parties and glitter and acceptance. And I'm so incredibly honored that we live in a time where we get to have all of that. The first Pride Festival was commemorating a violent attack against our community and that the, the, the sort of the straw on the camel's back, so to speak, that night that led these mostly trans women to say, we're not doing this anymore. Um, and they fought back and they threw bricks at the police um, and they physically fought with the police and they pushed the police out of the building. Um, and then they pushed the police into the building and locked the doors from the outside. And these riots happened for a couple of days, right? Um, and uh, I just think it's so important for folks to know, you know, so the first Pride Festival happened in New York and in San Francisco in 1970 as a one year anniversary celebration. And, and remembrance of the, um, the bravery and the courage of these people who had the most to lose in this time fighting back against the police. Um, and so here we are 53 years later um, and we celebrate pride festivals again with parades and parties and um, drag shows and all of these things. And even though it's lost on so many people, what we are celebrating is the courage of people who had the most to lose, uh, saying we're we're not gonna we're not gonna take this anymore, and fighting back against the most powerful people in that time. So that's the beginning of of Pride, and uh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. As you can probably tell from my voice, I get emotional thinking about Pride every year, in large part because I'm so honored to be a part of a movement and a community that was really founded by just some phenomenally courageous, phenomenally strong people. That is, yeah, no, that is, it's so recent. It was so recent. It's, it's crazy how recent that was. And to think that just off someone's preference or, you know, how they feel, you know, it just, just, just based off that, we were very rude, very harsh, very horrible, horrible, horrible. And I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you a lot for speaking about that. I think a lot of people, a lot of people need to, Need to know how recent this is and how how tender this is still um but how do big corporations benefit off pride month and how can we support small businesses during pride month instead of these huge corporations yeah absolutely um you know there's a there's a term rainbow capitalism that some folks have heard about that comes up every year during pride and i think about it a lot right and the idea the concept of rainbow capitalism is mostly straight, mostly cisgender, mostly white owned companies, throw a rainbow on some of their products and call it a pride celebration. And then, and they make money off of, off of us, off of the LGBTQ folks, off of, you know, off of queer, queer folks and our families and our allies and our supporters, right? And, um, and I just wanna be authentic and honest. I purchased a lot of those products, right? Um, I, uh, I recently bought a coach bag with that it was the pride celebration rainbow coach bag right um and i and, and so um you know this is uh, an acknowledgement that first and foremost that if you think about 53 years ago when these events happened my mom was already a teenager so this wasn't that long ago right and so 53 years ago we were not legally allowed to be out about our sexuality to be open about our gender identity, right? Um, and so then you fast forward to time like the 90s when it started to become more popular. And so 
um, it's understandable that big corporations are able to make so much money. And I don't begrudge them because as a, as a queer kid who grew up in the 90s, who came out in the 90s, I went from living in a community where I had never met a gay person that I knew of. I mean, I probably did, but I didn't know that, right? Um, I had never seen somebody. I had no way to identify myself. And then very quickly, I learned that there were um, Jansport who makes backpacks, came out with a rainbow backpack when I was in high school. And of course, they're a mostly straight, mostly white, big, giant corporation. But there's an affirming feeling when these very powerful, very large corporations are saying, we know who you are and we see you, right? Um, doesn't mean I agree with their politics, doesn't mean that they're doing what's best for the community. Um, but the fact that the designer of a coach bag put a rainbow, a rainbow design on that coach bag, I get to I get to carry that bag and it becomes more obvious, although it's pretty obvious already that I'm a gay man. Um, but also it's like there's validation. It's not just me. There's there are people behind me. Right. Um, and so uh, but at the same time, these large corporations participate in this rainbow capitalism. Right. They do this. Um, they do suck a lot of money out of our community. And then small, locally owned, queer owned businesses, trans owned businesses don't get as much, right? Um, and so I, I invite people to, to make a commitment that I've made myself. And I use this example. I bought a new bag. I look at how much money that bag cost me. And I make sure that when I purchase something from a big corporation during Pride Month as a part of their, their Pride package or, or whatever, that I spend exactly that same amount of money at a small queer owned business, right? Uh, the people who advise me financially might not like this plan very much because sometimes that means spending a lot of money. But I look at a new, I look at the new bag, or um, you know, I think about the. So I just recently saw rainbow socks that were really fun. They were little rainbow like crew socks that said, "Hey, I'm queer," and I was like, "Oh, I really want those," you know. So if I'm going to spend twenty bucks on a pair of rainbow socks from this big corporation that I've never heard of, I'm also going to go to um, a local queer person who's making masks for COVID out of their house and spend 20 bucks on masks from them, right? Um, or I'm going to go to a local bakery that's owned by a trans person and their partner and spend 20, and I can spend 20 bucks at a bakery in no time at all. So it's not usually that hard, right? Um, and so I think that, you know, ultimately long-term, we want to, to get to a place where queer and trans owned businesses are making all the money off of Pride Month and, and doing all of that stuff. Um, but we can't neglect the affirmation that comes with corporate support, right? Um, and so the solution for me is to just be intentional about where we spend the money and make it equal, right? Um, someday when I grow up, so to speak, I'll give all my money to locally owned small businesses. And in the meanwhile, um, I just try to even, even the playing field a little bit. That's a good method, you know, <laughs> I'll start using that myself. Um, but how do we become better allies? You know, I love this question um, in large part because there's no answer, right? Um, I would say to people, I do say to people, allyship is a verb, it's not a noun, right? And so there is no way to be a quote ally, right? Um, but to be in allyship with the queer and trans community really means to spend your whole life thinking about what are the ways that I can show up? What are the ways that I can be better, that I can do better. Um, and I think that starts with education, right? I think it starts with education and not in the formal 
uh, go and take a class from EQ&M on gay history, although I would love to teach that class someday. Um, may, maybe I'll start teaching at UNM when I grow up. But I think that it means doing some research, finding the documentaries, um, the, the close to reality TV shows that really show people sort of who we are and what our community's history is. I think it means reading a lot of books, me, finding queer authors, and listening to our interviews and our um, and reading our writing, right? And just sort of um, always working hard to think about how can I learn better, do better, be better. And the thing that I would say that is most critical is knowing when and how to show up. Um, and I say all the time, you know, when when pride happens and it's a big parade, showing up as straight folks to the pride parade and cheering us on. Like that's a way to show up, to remind people in Albuquerque, 18,000 people came to the parade, 25,000 people came to the parade. Those big numbers are a way of showing up, right? And then when thinking about the Pride Festival that sometimes happens at the fairgrounds afterwards, right? Or thinking about the drag show on a Friday night, think about the space um, and then think about whether or not it's appropriate to show up, right? Um, and so I think for, for, for our allies, for straight and cisgender allies of ours, finding the time to show up and be supportive and then finding the time not to take up space. Um, I think those are the key pieces of being in strong allyship. That is, that is good to know. That is for sure good to know. Um, on that idea of being an ally, how can we be better friends to people who are coming out or who have come out? How, how do we be better to them? That starts long before we come out. And so I tell people all of the time <clears throat> that um, I came out when I was 16 years old, but the process of coming out started when I was probably six or seven, right? Um, you know, we, we all, we all at different times in our lives, but as children, we start to know things about ourselves, right? We start to understand our bodies and our attractions and the way we interact with the world. And it was when I was probably 10 or 11 that I most remember hearing somebody who I thought was a friend, who was my friend at the time, saying something about gay people in a very negative way. And that was six years before I came out. And what that person said is part of the reason that it took me six years to come out. And so I say to people, you know, if some, if your best friend or your sibling or your cousin comes out to you, the most important words we can hear at that time or are, I love you and I'm here if you need anything. And that's it. And it's very simple. I love you and I'm here for you. It's the five or six years before that that are the most important. And the way to be a good friend um, is to assume, most of us should assume, somebody we're close to is queer or trans, right? One of our siblings, one of our cousins, one of our friends. Either they don't know it yet or we don't know it yet, but one of them is, at least one of them is. And so think early on about what are the things that we're saying and what are the messages that we're saying to that friend that make them more comfortable coming out to us when the time is right or less comfortable, right? Um, and so I don't, I'm, 
I keep jokingly saying when I grow up, I'm a pretty, I'm an adult, I'm a pretty old person now. I'm not a young person anymore. When I was young, it was, and for quite a while, it was very popular to say, that's so gay, as a, as a negative sort of, you know, not the like fighting words, but the like the way you tease your friends, right? Like, bro, don't do that, that's gay. And I cannot tell you how many people who are just a few years younger than me heard that again and again and again from their older brothers or their football team or their girlfriends at the mall and how that made them feel that those people would not accept them if they were gay. And I don't think that was always true. I think many people said that without necessarily being homophobic, right? They would say that with, and at the same time probably would have said to that very friend, oh, that's cool. I love you. You're my friend. doesn't matter. And so I think when we talk about supporting somebody who comes out, in the moment, it's very easy. It's the time that leads up to that, to think about what are the things that we're saying and the ways that we're behaving with these people that make them feel more or less comfortable being who they are. I have a good friend of mine and she, she came out to me and, you know, I've tried to support her as much as I can. And it's good to know how to support each other. What is your message to our community? How much time you got? Cause I've got a hundred of them. Um, you know, I think, especially in this pride month, in this time, the message that I most want to share with, with folks everywhere is we have been fighting for queer and trans liberation for decades, right? The Stonewall riots were sort of the, the moment that people know about. Really, there was the Compton cafeteria riots that happened five years before that in San Francisco. And there were political marches and pickets of the Mattachine Society and um, you know organizations as far back as the 30s. We now have found trans women who were living married lives in the 20s. We've been fighting this fight for a long time and it's not over. We're still fighting for LGBTQ liberation. Um, and we, I believe at EQNM, we believe that we are called to activism on behalf of the LGBTQ community until every single queer and trans person can live their life with full dignity, full respect, um, and be able to thrive. And so um, I think that, you know, that core message during Pride Month is, is celebrate, be happy and excited. Um, I'm, I'm sad that we're still experiencing COVID and so we won't have in-person Pride events until August of this year, um, but we're celebrating this month, right? Um, and we are celebrating that we've made a lot of gains. We have marriage equality in New Mexico. You can't be fired for being gay or for being trans. Um, you know, we have anti-bullying uh, laws that protect students in schools. Um, we've banned um, conversion therapy. So parents and, and clergy can't send their kids to child abuse camps because that's what they are to try to fix them, so to speak. So we have a lot to celebrate. Um, but people are still contracting HIV and AIDS, right? Um, trans women are still being put in the wrong jails and prisons and detention centers. Queer people are fleeing 
from Central and Southern America because, uh, because it's not safe in their communities. And then they're being detained by ICE in the United States. Um, a majority of LGBTQ people have struggled with, are struggling with mental illness and don't have access to healthcare. People don't make enough money. Even, you know, not making a living wage impacts queer and trans people just like it impacts everybody else, right? Um, except that sometimes in some places we can't get a better job because they won't hire a trans woman, right? We can't get a better job um, because I am very visibly queer, um, right? And so we are celebrating 50 plus years of activism and a lot of really big successes but we have so much more work to do and we really have to show up as a community to keep doing that work. Um, and that work is hard. And, um, and I think a lot about how easy it is to say um, how hot it is outside, how tired we all are, right? I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently about pride um, and about some of the volunteer stuff we do during pride month. And this friend of mine said, but it's just so hot in June. And the first thing that came to mind for me was, imagine how hot it was to be in full drag or as a trans woman in full makeup in a basement bar with no air conditioning in New York City in 1969 and have the fortitude to physically fight the police. It's hot in New Mexico, but it was really hot then for those women, right? It was really, really hard for the people who came before us. And so I think that the message of activism is to pick up that courage and that bravery and that fortitude that those folks had and push it forward. Um, because the only way we can honor the hundreds of thousands of people who sacrificed their entire lives uh, to end HIV and AIDS, to achieve marriage equality, to, you know, to just stop being thrown in jail is to pick up that torch and keep going forward. And that means doing the work. It is, it is good to acknowledge a lot of issues, a lot of issues that a lot of people completely forget about, completely throw away, you know, and it's, it's a good calling. It's a good calling to, to take to take a little bit of leadership from everybody and to fight for fight for what's right. Um, in honor of Pride Month, what are some events that are happening and how can we learn more about them? Absolutely. Um, you know, there there is probably an event every single day this month. Um, the joy of being still in the COVID times is that a lot of things are still happening virtually. So, um, you know, Equality New Mexico doesn't do a lot of specific Pride events, but on uh, Tuesday, June 15th at, um, at 3.30 in the afternoon, we're actually going to have a trans policy roundtable conversation. It'll be live on Facebook. Folks can find it by following Equality New Mexico on Facebook and getting the details there. Um, we're gonna hear from some trans young folks, some trans college students, and then some policy experts about the ways that policies, um, good and bad, have impacted the lives of trans people. Um, and uh, Albuquerque Pride is really the, the main organization that puts on Pride events. They can be found online at abqpride.com. 
and also on Facebook, and they have all kinds of events. I mean, there's a drag show every weekend this month. There are bingo events. There's a, um, a lesbian roundtable conversation that's sort of intergenerational. I'm very excited about some of my um, lesbian elders and mentors are talking, you know, uh, women in their 60s and 70s are having conversations with, um, with queer women in their teens and 20s about the differences in the generations and the differences in experiences. Um, and so I would really say um, that folks should check out Albuquerque Pride, check out the Equality New Mexico um, Facebook page. There is gonna be an event in Santa Fe um, and then what I'm most excited about, because we're coming out of COVID finally, and we just didn't get enough notice to do it in June, Albuquerque will have in-person Pride events happening in August of this year. It's a little bit off of what normally would happen, but I think that we can have a parade, we can have a candlelight vigil, we can have a festival at the fairgrounds any day of the year to honor the sacrifice and the work of our queer and trans elders. And so be looking for those in-person events happening in August, um, and those will be put on by Albuquerque Pride as well. Thank you. I think everybody needs to know about events that are happening in our community. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, um, I wanna say, first of all, thank you so much for making this space and for giving me an opportunity to share the, the history of pride and the history of equality in New Mexico um, and the movement work that we're doing together. And um, I'm gonna make a, a slightly odd sort of pitch to so many allies out there. Um, I am particularly fond of TV and movies. When I work in politics, I, I work a lot. So when I don't work, I wanna just lay on the couch and watch TV. Um, and so I, Recently just finished watching the series Pose on FX. It's three seasons of a show that is all about black and brown queer and trans people in the 80s and 90s. It was written and produced by black trans women, um, by some folks who lived through that time. Um, and it's not a documentary, so it's, it's engaging, it's fun. Um, and I think that it really, it's really poignant and it really sh reminds people all of the fights that we've been through and the ways that we created family, the ways that we were resilient, and the ways that we survived so much of this stuff. And then also, um, you know, there, of course, during Pride Month every year, there are always all kinds of documentaries that get released, right? Um, but uh, there's also a six episode series called Pride, which is a documentary of each decade since the 1950s of sort of what life was like for LGBTQ folks. And so just in the vein of that education space, especially for our allies who didn't live through it and for our queer and trans young people who don't, you know, who, who grew up and came out in the last 10 years or 15 years and don't have any idea. Um, these are a couple of opportunities to really learn some of our history. Um, and I think um, will help motivate people to show up um, to show up for us as a community, to learn better, to do better, to be better, um, and find that call to activism. Thank you so much for this amazing interview. And I would like to thank you for your time. I would like to thank you for this educational moment. I would like to thank you for your calling to action. I'm, I'm grateful to have this opportunity with you.
thank you so much for the time and, and the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Through Generation Justice, I'm Emilio Bovale. Thank you, Marshall, for talking to us about the history of Pride and telling us how we can be better friends to any of our friends who come out to us. It really moved and inspired me to support the LGBTQ plus community by knowing when and how to show up. Thank you, Marshall, for your leadership and willingness to share your knowledge and experience with us about Pride. I was so moved by your powerful messaging that those who have the most to lose are the ones fighting at the forefront. Next, a song chosen by our lovely guest Marshall, Proud by Heather Small. You are listening to Generation Justice, broadcasting on 89.9 KUNM-FM. Tonight, we are celebrating Pride Month with music and history. Lily, give us a scoop on what's next. Well, Jamel, next we share Jaren Kai's beautiful coming out commentary, originally recorded here at Generation Justice in 2007. Tonight, I want to share with you part of a story. A story of love, fear, hate, and truth. A personal story of traveling the road for acceptance and how I'm still hiding in a little bit of fear from other people. It's not easy, let me tell you. Accepting first to yourself, then to others about something as big as being gay. I questioned and denied, hoping to God it was a phase. Then came acceptance. I felt it and realized that maybe it's true and I had to live with it and then I began to embrace it. But how did I know I was gay? Well, I don't think I ever chose to be gay, but rather thinking that I was always gay. Not to sound stereotypical, but I was always an outsider. Friends with girls more than other guys, listening to pop music as opposed to rap or hip hop. Different. How different? One word, handsome. Enough said. Now, before I go on to the actual coming out portion of this experience, comes a problem in which many LGBTQ teens lose their lives. Some parents make it clear that their stance on homosexuality is based on their religious beliefs, and that in their lives, there is no room for anyone, quote unquote, like that. Having that thought echoes through most gay teenagers' minds, and they end up committing suicide. From personal experience and stories friends have told me, setting aside personal beliefs in politics is hard for any parent. But in my beliefs, at the end of the day, all they want is for you to succeed and to be happy. You are still their flesh and blood. You are still their baby. And they will always love you. Next came the biggest step I think I could have taken at the time. I told my mother. In actuality, I sent her an email saying that I was bisexual. 
Later on, I got a reply telling me that it was a phase or something brought on by media exposure. Chris is all dressed up and acting cool. Painted like a brand new Christmas toy. He's trying to figure out if he's a girl or he's a boy. And he says, Hey, baby, can you bleed like me? Now yes, this is harsh, and I didn't know how to react, but I took it okay and closed the door to the closet. By that, I mean I never openly expressed myself or shared those firsts that every teenager experiences. First kiss, first boyfriend, first date, let's just say a lot of first. It was until two years later at the age of 15 that my parents actually talked about it openly but I still never shared any personal story with them. But the hard part of any gay teenager's life is fighting off people you don't want to know. My parents have told me that they're okay with it, that they love me, and no matter what, their greatest fear for me is that I'll run into the wrong person who has a problem with me and get into a conflict. This is also one of my greatest fears. On October 6th, 1998, two men, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson, attacked University of Wyoming student Matthew Shepard, beating him and tying him to a fence in the middle of nowhere. Five days later, he died, never regaining consciousness. Why was he attacked? Because he was gay. If you didn't get that, let me say it again. He was attacked because he was gay. Let me ask you, how much fear, how much hate does one person have to have in order to kill someone just because of who they are? Nowadays, young gay teenagers are coming out younger than ever, but it doesn't also alter the fact that many of them live in fear. My advice to any teenager living in fear of who they are is to learn the history of our people. The Stonewall Rebellion of the late 60s and early 70s, to the AIDS epidemic of the 80s, and to the modern religious oppression. We are meant to survive any struggle that life throws at us, and we will continue to survive. And never, ever let anyone tell you that you are weak and have no place. Because we weren't meant to live this long, Natural selection would have gotten us a long time ago. And we are meant to see a whole lot more. Let me tell you, this is only the beginning of bigger things. For KUNM, I'm Jan Kai. Jaren, the emotion and hopefulness in this piece is so powerful. You are telling a beautiful, complicated story that everyone should hear. Thank you, Jaren, for telling everyone about your coming out story. I love that you were willing to tell your story on the radio for thousands to hear. It was truly an inspiring piece, especially to those who have a hard time talking about their own story. Our next song is Girls Like Girls by Haley Kiyoko.
hope you've enjoyed this hour of pride. We'd like to thank our guests, Marshall Martinez and Jaron Kai. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberto Rayo with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez. Thank you to our interviewer, Media Justice intern Emilio Buvale. And our Media Justice interns for their production support. Jacqueline Wynn, Elijah Cage, Isabel Becerra, Zan Dixon, Arturo Acheleta, Gianna Ramirez, and Saviana Moya. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And of course, all of you who have contributed to our project and by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last songs of the night include Your Song by Elton John and Come Into the Water by Mitski. I am Lily Lukow. And I'm Jamel Sanchez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico, and happy Happy Pride Pride Month. Month. Turn.